I don't know about you, but man, Christmas really just came fast this year. Um, Christmas has really come fast, and I have to say that my perspective this year of the Christmas story has changed unlike ever before. Uh, For many of you who know us and know a little bit about our situation, you know that my wife and I have a four-month-old, and that has really... Uh, changed my perspective of Christmas. You see, it's different uh, than any year prior, mainly because I've seen what labor looks like. I've seen that entire process, and I was present for the entire delivery of a child. And man, I've, I've seen some things. That is totally different. And I remember just the entire process from start to finish, where it was about 4 a.m., I'm on St. James Avenue, I've got the flash emergency lights going, and I'm driving like 70 miles an hour, my wife is in the passenger seat, like in between breath, she goes, you don't have to do that, and so I said, I've always wanted to do this, what other reason have I ever had for speeding in my entire life, but then I just realized that we were kind of hurrying up for nothing because she was in labor for 22 hours. My gosh. And then, of course, the baby comes along, and you think, yes, absolutely, you think for just a moment, you think for a second that, man, okay, the labor and delivery, it's over. It's going to be much easier now. And then, of course, you know, they actually come, and then there's the crying, and then there's the nursing, there's the sleep training. There's all of that. Never had to experience that before. Never read the Christmas story with that vantage point. But now, Oh my goodness, can you imagine being Mary and Joseph in this moment, like having, delivering a baby and having no place for him to go, having nowhere to take him? Listen, it's an ordeal, all right? It's an ordeal, and what makes this birth special, what makes this different from any other birth, what's the, what's the big deal about Jesus' birth is, is simply this, that Jesus did not have one of those fathers like you and I have. Like, Jesus is the Son of God, right? Like, Jesus is the Son of God. He was conceived, kind of brought to a virgin through the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything about it was a miracle. And whenever it came time for Mary to give birth to Jesus, she was, of course, engaged to Joseph. They weren't married at the time. She was, again, a virgin and was ready to give birth to a baby Jesus. And at the time, they were kind of traveling. They were not in their home. They were traveling and following orders to register with the government, like a census. And so everybody had to return to their home. So that's what they did. And as they're traveling and as they're on the road, it comes time for her to give birth. Like, you know that moment. For any of you mothers out there, you know that moment. Like, this ain't feeling good. This not feeling right. I remember we were at the Northwood Mall whenever that happened. We were at the Northwood Mall. We had, we had like tennis shoes on. We were just going to go for a walk when all of a sudden it just didn't feel right. And we had to get in the car and go back home again to just kind of sit and wait and wait and wait and wait. So this is what happens to Mary. And Many of us are very familiar with this part of the story. It comes time for her to deliver, and they go to this place. They go to this inn, this hotel kind of a thing, and whenever they go to deliver, there's no room for them. There's no room for them there. There's no room for baby Jesus. And so what has to happen is they go, and she gives birth out near where the animals are. We believe this was most likely a cave 
where Jesus was born. He was most likely born in a cave where they would have most likely drawn up a curtain in the cave. There's lots of animals around. Not a glorious situation, not what you would expect. We just talked about last week in this series, Make Room, how Jesus had been planned for. They had talked about Jesus for hundreds of years before he actually came. And whenever it's time for him to come, it's just like an emergency type situation. Like an emergency. I don't think we, we think about the Christmas story like that. But it really shouldn't come as a surprise, though. Because whenever it comes time for Jesus to be born, and those words are said that there's no room. We've got no room for you in the end. There's no room for you. You have to go out with the animals. It should not be of a surprise to us. Because it goes much deeper than there just being no room for Jesus in the end. Because Jesus wasn't welcomed as a baby. But here's the real story. Jesus wasn't welcomed as an adult. He wasn't welcomed as a baby. There was no room for him in the end. Whenever he grows up, whenever he's full maturation, a grown adult, there was still no room for him. He wasn't welcome in all of the world. It's the entire world that doesn't have room for Jesus. It's the entire world. It's not just the end. It's the entire world. From the moment of his birth, from the moment Jesus entered into this world, Jesus was like this underdog. Jesus wasn't born into pomp and circumstance, and surely there were angels and there were wise men, and people who really knew they came to worship Jesus. But the reality of the situation is that they laid Jesus in a manger where animals eat out of. And then, of course, as he grows up, like I said, there was no room for Jesus in the entire world. Still today, this is what we deal with because there's very little room for Christ in our universities. There's very little room for Jesus in other countries. In fact, if you preach the name of Jesus or if you believe in the name of Jesus Christ in other countries, that is a right for you to be executed on the spot. There is no room for Jesus in other religions because other religions look at Jesus and say he's just a man and they outright teach many of their people to despise Jesus Christ. There's no room for Jesus in the commercial marketplace. You see, it's a fact that many of our stores, are, it's pretty widely known that Christmas is so commercialized that we want to push Jesus out. We want to push Jesus out, out of the stores we don't, want Jesus, we don't want to even say Christmas anymore. We kind of know that as Christians. We know that this is happening indeed. Listen to me. There is very little room for Jesus in our world. There's very little room for Christ. But here's the question. Is there room for Jesus in your house this Christmas? Is there room for Jesus in your house this Christmas? Is there room for Jesus in your traditions? Is there room for Jesus in your thoughts? Is there room for Jesus in your heart? Is there room for Jesus in the way that you spend your time? Have you made a room for Jesus this Christmas? You see, we often criticize the world for taking Jesus out of everything. We often criticize the world for taking Christ out of Christmas. And we blame Starbucks for the red holiday cups. We blame stores for saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. But I'm here to say that making room for Jesus has nothing to do with what happens out there. What happens, what, what, making room for Jesus has everything to do with what happens in here. 
So you can have your cups that say Merry Christmas. You can say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. But that doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't mean a thing. Making room for Jesus is something that happens in your heart. It has everything to do with making room for Jesus in your time. It has everything to do with making room for Jesus in your traditions. Listen, we can't blame the world for something that we started. We can't blame the world because they took Christ out of Christmas. No, we did. We did that. We did. But here's the good news. If you haven't made room for Jesus this Christmas season, there's still time. If you haven't made room for Jesus this Christmas season, I want you to understand there is still plenty of time and you have yet an opportunity not to miss this year, not to miss this year, there is still time. You see, in the Bible, we see very clearly about a man who had no room for Jesus. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, that's where we'll be camping out today. We're still in this series called Make Room. And if you didn't listen to last week's sermon, I encourage you to go do that for Pastor Ryan. He preached on Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, where we talked about how they had prophesied. They talked about how Jesus was coming into the world for hundreds of years before it actually happened. Now, in the middle of the Christmas story, we know a lot about there being no room in the end. We know about Luke chapter 2. But I'm afraid that one of the things that we often miss in all of the Christmas story is this king and this man named Herod. This man named Herod. And so I want us this morning to get a little bit of perspective about who Herod is and what Herod did in order to try and make no room for Jesus. Because the reality is that Herod literally made life a nightmare for Mary and for Joseph for just a little while. So if you're there in Matthew chapter 2, say, I got it. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes and the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, which we talked about last week. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and, assert, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until they came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt 
and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and he departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled the prophet, or was fulfilled by what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come this morning, we pray that you would take your word, Lord, that you would um, teach us something. Lord, that it wouldn't just be information but that information would change us, become what we call transformational. Lord, we know that a disciple of Jesus is someone who's growing in, giving to, and going for you. Lord, we pray that the words of Matthew 2 would help us to grow in Christ. Change our ideas and thoughts of what Christmas is. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we see here in the Christmas story is a man named Herod who's trying to derail the entire thing, trying to derail the entire thing. In history, this man is known as Herod the Great. Herod the Great, he would have been known as the king over Judea, and he was a pretty big kingdom, and he was kind of known for lots of architecture, lots of buildings. In fact, if you keep going in the Gospels, you'll see where Jesus enters into a temple, and they refer to a temple over and over, this place where the Jews would have come to worship. It was actually Herod who was responsible partly for starting the building of this temple. But Herod was a very paranoid king, a very paranoid man, much like we hear about a lot of other kings. They're paranoid, right? Well, Herod had ten wives, and the wife that he loved the most, he actually had her executed because he was so paranoid that she was plotting against him. Like, just imagine if he executed his favorite wife, what he would do with the other nine. And then the two sons that he had with his favorite wife were his two favorite sons, and he actually had them executed too, because he was afraid that they were, he was paranoid that they were going to try and overtake his kingdom. This is the type of man that Herod is, just to kind of give you an idea of what he was like. And so, whenever he gets word from these wise men from the east, these strangers, who talk about this baby being born, who is king of the Jews, what do you think that does to Herod? It sends all sorts of red flags to him. Hey, buddy, this ain't happening. There's no way that there's going to be some baby born and he's going to take my place on this kingdom, on this throne. There's absolutely no way. So he kind of sends all red flags to him. He says to the wise men, he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go find this baby Jesus. I want you to go and whenever you find him, whenever whenever you find out where this baby Jesus is, I want you to let me know so that I can come and so that I can worship him. But really what Herod's doing, Herod wants Jesus dead. Herod wants this baby Jesus dead, just like his wife or his former wife, just like his sons. He wants this threat out of the picture. Now at this point, Jesus is no longer a baby. Jesus is probably about two to three years old. He's no longer a baby. He's kind of a toddler. 
If you want to know what that looks like, he would probably look like uh, baby Noah that's around here. Uh, he's actually sick today, but he would probably look a lot like that or any of the other toddlers. And so that's what he says. He says, go and search diligently for this child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. But he wants to eradicate this threat of a baby who's possibly going to take his place. Now, at first glance, it seems like Herod is trying to kill baby Jesus, but really, we know that this is just a part of a much bigger picture that behind Herod and behind Herod's ways lies the Jesus' main enemy and our main enemy. This is kind of the work of Satan. Satan wants Jesus dead. If Satan can have Jesus dead before he ever becomes an adult, before Jesus ever does any ministry, before Jesus ever dies on the cross, before Jesus ever resurrects and comes back to life, he knows that he's won. And so really this is Herod, but behind Herod is something much bigger. This is our age-old enemy who wants to snuff out God's plan to have Jesus come and die on the cross. Because if Jesus dies on the cross and resurrects, then Satan knows that he's lost forever. If Jesus comes and he dies on the cross, then he knows that, that there's no way for your life and your soul to be saved. He knows that there's no winning in the end for you and for me. And so Herod is kind of just, he's just a pawn here in a much greater story in something that's going on since the age of time, since the beginning of time. And so Herod, he seeks to have the baby killed. You can see it right there. In verse 8, he says, Whenever you have found him, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship. But you see, the wise men, they know better. They're kind of warned not to return to Herod because they're told that, hey, don't, don't tell Herod because Herod wants the baby killed. And so instead of going to do this, the, the wise men, they go back to the east, they go back home, and you see, here's the good news. The good news is that God provided a way out. God provided a way out. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, and he said to him in this dream, he says, rise and take your child and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to, to search for this child and destroy him. Now at this time, Egypt is about 90 miles southeast of Bethlehem of where they are. It's about 90 miles to the southeast. And it, I don't, if you know much about this time, even today, a young couple who just had a baby, um, who especially were betrothed kind of in this engagement period, who might have just gotten married, they really wouldn't have had the money to travel 90 miles to this place called Egypt. They wouldn't have had money. They wouldn't have had the means. They were not well-to-do people. Much like you and I, in an emergency-type situation, there's not really, you know, an emergency fund. Like, just sitting there ready to, at your disposal, it's kind of what you have on hand. And so they have to flee in the middle of the night. And I've always asked myself, you know, how in the, how in the world do they go to Egypt? How do they get there? And one of the cool things and one of the most providential ways that we see God providing here through this story is the way that Mary and Joseph most likely paid for this trip to Egypt was through the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so they would have been able to pay for this trip by God's, pro God's providing for them. They would have been able to travel here. And so as fast as they can, that's exactly what happens. Mary and Joseph and little toddler Jesus that are on the run, 
and we don't often think about this, but from the very beginning of his life, Jesus was a refugee. Jesus was seeking refuge for his life. Jesus was on the run. There was no room for him in the world. There was no room for him in the end. And there was certainly no room for him in all of Judea. That's who Christ is. That's who Jesus is. But here's the best part of the passage that I think we often miss. Here's the best part of the passage that I think we often miss. Go to verse 15. Verse 15. It says, And they remained there in Egypt until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Now Egypt in this place called Egypt should be really familiar to many of us because we just went through this whole series on Moses and the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And we know that originally this nation, this this people group called the Hebrews, they had to run to Egypt because they were on the run trying to find food, trying to find sustainment, and trying to literally just survive. They had no food. There was a famine in the land, had to go to Egypt, had to, to get food, had to survive. And in the process of doing that, they became slaves for over 400 years to Pharaoh. And one of the most miraculous things that we see in all the Old Testament is that God provided a way out for them out of slavery and led them into freedom in this, into this place called the Promised Land. Now here we are, and if you track with me for just a second, here we are, and the writer, this, the, the book of Matthew, Matthew says that this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. And if you are kind of tracking along with me, you see that what happened to the Israelites and what happened to the Hebrews is exactly what happens to Jesus. They're on the run trying to survive, end up in Egypt. Jesus, on the run, ends up in Egypt trying to survive, trying to fend for his life. And they're led out of slavery into this land called the Promised Land. Jesus eventually is out of Egypt into this place where he promised the Hebrews years and years and years and years ago. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. Jesus makes the same track and the same voyage out of Egypt that the Hebrew people would have done hundreds of years before Jesus even came. That Jesus made the same exact journey, identifying with his people, knowing what it's like to be on the run as a refugee, knowing what it's like to find a place to lay his head to call home. What Jesus experienced here is nothing short of miraculous, just like the prophet said, out of Egypt I have called my son into the place called the promised land. And we know that this is where Jesus is eventually going to do the most of his ministry in this place called the promised land, the same land that was promised to Abraham, the same land that was promised to Moses that we just saw over the last seven weeks. You see, the world made no room for Christ, but God provided a way. The world had no room for Christ, but God provided a way. Have you made room for Jesus this Christmas? Now, maybe you're like me, and we've been going through this series, and you're kind of asking, okay, how in the world am I supposed to make room? What does that mean? What does that look like? Am I supposed to go clean out the closet or something like that, make room, like clean up the clutter in my house? That doesn't even make sense. Well, this morning, what I wanted to do for you is I want to lay out about six ideas, six things that you could possibly do this Christmas season to make room. 
All right, six ideas, six things that you can do this Christmas season in order to make room. And hopefully you've got some, you got some paper there and a pen. How do I make room? What does that look like in my house? Here's number one. Number one, in between all the parties and all the gatherings and all the Christmas movies and all the, all the lights and all the celebrations and all the activities, what if, this is a wild idea, what if you take just a few nights this Christmas season, just to gather your family and pray. Just to gather your family and pray. In between all the movies, in between all the parties, in between all the celebrations, what would it look like for you to just to gather your family and pray? What would it look like for you maybe to just some, to find some solitude in your house, find a room, find a, a prayer closet or whatever that might look like for you just to pray and thank God that He provided a way out for you? What if you thank God and, and thank Him for this baby coming into the world, God coming into the world in the form of a baby to save you? What would it look like? What if before Christmas, but before opening presents on Christmas morning, what if you take time to explain, maybe to yourself, maybe to your kids, maybe to those that you open presents with, why you get to open gifts at all? Like why we're celebrating. What would it look like? Just somebody's got to do it, right? Somebody's got to be that person, like at Christmas morning, say, "Hey guys, time out, time out." All right, and I understand, like I get it. Nobody wants to be that guy on Christmas morning, especially if you've got kids that are ready to open presents. Nobody wants to be that guy and say, "Hey guys, we got to take a time out, short break right here." Listen, this is the reason why we're doing it, and I understand that we, you know, we don't really want to you know, dampen the party of Christmas morning, but there is no party of Christmas morning at all if it is not for Christ. So what if we did that? What would that look like if we just stopped and told our kids before we open gifts how Jesus is the greatest gift of all? Parents, have you read the Christmas story to your children this year? Have you cracked open Luke 2 and said, hey, listen, I know that there's a lot of celebration going on. I know that there's a lot of stuff. Listen, this is what happened. This is the reason that we're celebrating. Opening the book of Luke 2 and saying, here's the Christmas story. Parents, listen, that's on you. That's on you. They're in the back right now, and they're doing crafts, and we're telling them about the Christmas story. We're telling them about Jesus. But it's not mainly our job. It's yours. We just want to come alongside you and help. It's yours. Tell them the Christmas story. Here's a big one. What if this year you held off on buying that brand new TV? What if this year, instead of buying 10 different new things or 10 different items for your kids, what if you bought seven and took some of that money and gave it to Lottie Moon to give it around the world or, or give it to a family that's in need? Instead of buying a bunch of stuff that's just going to end up at next year's Love Gave, what if you just saved a little bit of that money and said, here's what we want to do and explain that to your kids? Say, we want, to, we want to be a part of what God's doing in the world and so that literally thousands of people could hear the good news of Jesus. It's a wild idea. It's a wild idea. That's how we make room for Jesus, though. Making room for Jesus is not just an idea. Making room for Jesus might take place in our budgets. What if you bake cookies for a neighbor? What if you bake cookies for a neighbor and said, and send it to that neighbor and you go and you make a big deal about it with the kids and say, hey, Jesus loves you and we love you. 
Because the truth is that maybe they don't have any idea why we celebrate Christmas. The truth is maybe they don't know, maybe they never have heard the story, but you doing a simple thing like that might change their world and their perspective. What if we bake cookies for a neighbor? I love that one. Or bake cookies for me. Or Steve. You see, here's the thing, guys, is that I'm not saying don't eat the ham. I'm not saying don't drink the eggnog. I'm not saying don't watch Christmas vacation, however you roll. Listen, drink all the hot cocoa you want. Do it. Eat all the cookies you want. But with every bite... With every sip, with every smile that comes to your face, that warmth that you feel in your heart, with everything that you do, let it make you think about Jesus. Let it make you think about Jesus. That's how you make room. You see, it's not just bread and juice that we get to remind ourselves of Jesus. It can also be cookies and cocoa. That whenever we eat the cookies and we drink the cocoa, we think about Jesus. We remember Jesus. You see, there's three ways that I think that we can view Christmas season. There's three particular ways, and those are the six ideas. You take that and run with it. You come up with new ones. Bring Jesus into your traditions. There's three ways, I believe, that we can view Christmas season. And the first thing is that we can avoid all things fun. We can avoid it. Like We, we, don't, we, we can teetotal and say, I'm not watching any Christmas movies. I'm not listening to any Christmas carols unless it's about Jesus and the, Jesus coming into the world, and that's cool. And if you choose to do that, that's fine. But I think many of us are in a different ballgame. You can choose to say, I don't want any part of Christmas unless it's about Jesus, and that's fine. There's another way where we can take all the parties and all the traditions and we can allow them to distract us from Jesus, where we don't think anything about Christ, we don't think of anything about Jesus coming into the world to save us. So where we avoid it all or whether we consume it all and Jesus is missing. Or, here's a third option. I love the third options. We can take a third option where we allow every song, where we allow every cookie, where we allow every gift, every light, every tradition that we have enhance our view of Jesus. Make us love him even more. Make us appreciate him even more. Make us more thankful for him than we've ever been. And I hope this year that you will take that route where you make room for Christ. And here's the thing. I feel like it needs to be said that, that making room for Jesus isn't just for those who are celebrating this Christmas. There are many in our church, there are many in our community that may not be celebrating but might be hurting and might be mourning. Maybe this is the first Christmas without a loved one. Maybe this is the first Christmas that you've had away from home, away from family members. It might be for those of us who are lonely. You see, making room for Christ isn't just for those of us who are celebrating. Making room for Christ is for even for those of us who are hurting. Even for those of us that are lonely. Even for those of us who this Christmas might just be a little different because we understand and we, we realize that you too have hope. You have hope this Christmas. You have hope. Make room in your hearts for Christ to be there to comfort you. You have a reason to be joyful. You have a reason to smile because Christ can identify with your pain. 
Christ has been there. Christ knows what you're going through. Here's the reality. One day, the world will make room for Jesus. It's all His now. We know that. But one day he's coming into the world to rule and reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. One day. Until then, it's my job and it's your job to make room for Christ. Let's pray. Father, um, we come this morning and Lord, I think about Christmas and Lord, this is such a special time of the year and Lord, ever since a, a child, a, a little kid, Lord, I this is the best time of year. <laughs> Lord, and there's ways to go about it where we allow everything to distract us from you, but there's a totally different way where we allow all of those things just to make us love you even more. Lord, and that's where I want to be found. Lord, I want to I not be distracted by you because my eyes are just so fixed on you that every little thing that comes my way, it just turns my heart and my mind to say, man, Jesus is good. Man, Jesus is good. He came into the world. God came into the world to die for me on the cross. God came back to life. I get to celebrate this year. Lord, allow our hearts to just overflow for you. To make room. It's yours. This morning, we talked a lot about making room for Jesus over Christmas. And I said at the beginning that that really it's not a matter of singing songs. It's not a matter of what happens out in the stores. Making room for Christ takes place in your heart. It takes place on the inside of each one of us. If you haven't done that ever, if you've never made room for Jesus and if you've never given your life to Him and followed Him and said, this is yours, then we want you to know that this is the best thing you could ever do. The message of Christmas is simply this, that you were sinners and you were far from God and you had messed up and you were broken, but God came into the world in the form of flesh and skin and bones. You could touch Him. We're different from any other religion in the world. That is the message of Christmas. If you've never made room for him, and you want to today, I'll be in the back of the room. If you need somebody to pray with you, we'll pray through you. We won't make it awkward. won't make it weird or anything like that. If you just need prayer this morning, we're here for you too. If you know that you haven't made room for Christmas and you feel a little convicted this morning, we invite you just to stay where you are to pray to make time and confess that. We pray that you would be obedient this morning.